not long ago at all, we took three Wednesday nights to watch three short videos on what are sometimes called servant psalms or suffering psalms. And we used those psalms to kind of prepare our hearts for our conference on, on leadership. I'm going to revisit one of those texts, Isaiah 53, uh, tonight to prepare our hearts this time for communion. And really my intention would be for the rest of 2023, every time we come for communion, we're going to come back to this same chapter and look at something different to focus our hearts on. Um, the fact remains that when we speak of the suffering servant in this text, it can't be Isaiah. It certainly isn't Israel, and it only falls on Jesus alone. He receives this as, as prophecy of himself. Uh, Peter says this in 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully regarding or requiring, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. So Peter makes it very clear that these sufferings, this death that we read of in Isaiah 53 is appointed to Christ. So we've got some 700 years before the crucifixion, we've got a description uh, on what the cost of salvation would be. When we partake of communion, we are reenacting the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in sometimes what people call the gospel of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, the gospel of Isaiah, um, they, we make this point. Interesting, isn't it? That it is this very text that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading as he's bumping along through the desert and Philip joins himself to the chariot and he asks what question? Do you understand what you're reading? Uh, what, a, what a setup. What an easy follow through on that as this guy is, is reading about the suffering servant and, and trying to figure out who is this talking about? Well, I'd like you to look with me at, at the end of 52 and just the first few verses of 53. First of all, at what I'm going to call a troubling sight. A troubling sight. It, it offends our sensitivities here in 2023 when we see something that is horrific. And when it says, behold, my servant, verse 13 of chapter 52, behold, <clears throat> Isaiah is grabbing us by the beard, okay? And he's saying, look with your fullest attention. My servant shall act wisely. He will succeed, I think is the idea there. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted as many as were, many were astonished at you, <clears throat> they were horrified by the sight of you. They were disgusted. They could not look at that. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that 
of the children of mankind. The preposition has a sense of away from, beyond. When you looked at Jesus, he started looking more like something unhuman than the figure of a man. Well, uh, there was this promise of horrific abuse in verse 14. And I think it's interesting that in the midst of judgment, a, a prophecy about judgment, go back and read the chapters, the Lord gives a promise of hope. Jesus had endured what or he would endure, what was prophesied way back in Psalm 22, 14. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. It goes on. What had been prophesied back in Messianic texts like Psalm 22, Jesus finds fulfilled in himself. Isaiah 57 says that he gave his back to those who strike. Again, not of Isaiah, not of Israel, and his cheeks to those who pull out the beard. He did not hide his face from disgrace and spitting. Let me ask you, do you think Jesus as a boy growing up and learning Hebrew, do you think he ever came across Isaiah 53? I think the answer is yes. Do you think that he understood what was coming? I think the answer is yes, especially in those last three years. He tells his disciples of the death that should come. Let me ask you a third question. Do you think that he ever, in humanity, in his humanity, shrunk back or shuddered at all that awaited him in that Passion Week? And again, the answer is yes. He prays that the Father would remove that cup if it was his will. But in love and in obedience, he endured for sinners. He took our place. He gave his body. So I said the, the promise of horrific abuse. Notice also in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 53, the prophecy of a rejected shepherd. Who, who has believed? In Hebrew, that has the idea of, who can imagine something so unimaginable? How can you take this in? Uh, that one who was of God, who was God, could be so disfigured. How could such abuse and death be connected somehow to redemption? Folks, it was at the very heart of redemption. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Zechariah's prophecy that I, I may have mentioned this morning, Zechariah 13, verse 1, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He knew from passages like Isaiah and Jeremiah uh, and, and uh, 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 Isaiah and Jeremiah and Zechariah that what was coming. Verse 3, when it says, he was despised and rejected of men just like Esau rejected his birthright. They esteemed him not. They didn't value him as one. Can you imagine looking at Jesus and saying, you know, no thanks. He doesn't look like a Messiah to me. I'll wait for the next, next guy to come along. And yet he was doing it for them. They esteemed him not. They, uh, 
Literally, it's, a, it's a, an expression of contempt. They looked on him and on his condition and they said, that's disgusting. Remember the reasoning of Zophar and Eliphaz and Bildad as they looked at Job and they said, he's responsible. We don't know what you've done. My friend, repent of something. His wife cursed God and get it over with. Everybody had advice, none of it good. But they connected the dots and they ended up with a conclusion that was wrong. We're not suffering and we're righteous men. You're suffering. Oh, so you have a problem. So these Jews with that same mentality, retributive, looked at Jesus and said, you've done something wrong. You certainly can't die for us. You're not, you're not fit to be our Messiah. They held him in no value at all. They saw him as one so, so insignificant, so unworthy. You're not worth our worship. You're not in a place to die in our place, to hide one's face from, as it says here, is literally uh, a, a purposeful shun, regression, uh, give the order. Why was Jesus so beaten? Why did he look the way he did as he's dragging himself along that, that road to Calvary? because they had given him over, because they insisted that somebody else be released and this one die, because they insisted he's not the Messiah, because they pointed out he's trying to subvert the government, and yet he dies in their place. He dies a horrible death. I'm going to make reference here in the next couple of minutes to some of the hymns that are in our Hymn of the Month book, and that one called Consider Him. We have this stanza. He left his throne to wear a crown of shame, forsaken when he became, our sin became, forsaken son when he be, our sin became. In blackest night, he faced his death alone. In brightest death, he rose and claimed his throne. That's good writing because it reflects good scripture and reminds us of an eternal theme here. Notice our vicarious, not just a horrendous sight, but a vicarious sacrifice in verses four, five, and six. Jesus' death, his suffering, his substitution, all these things were necessary that it be a vicarious sacrifice. And when we think of the even the very scourging that was laid to his back was ours. The, the wounds to his hands, the abuse that was, all that belonged to us along with the guilt of sin. So we could say very accurately that our penalty brought his pain. Two thoughts here before we go to communion. First of all, the, the one who was sent is the one who was slain. And again, it's not a tragedy. What could have happened to Jesus? Why didn't people know? He came to die. When we think of the, the, the holiness of God, God's justice, and he is a just God, isn't he? The justice of God 
demanded a full penalty. And yet the love and the mercy of God inflicted on him what we deserved. All this moved God to give his son in our place, the just for the unjust, that we might have the righteousness of God. We have that text, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus himself, in John chapter 12, verse 32 said this, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And so that we don't miss the significance of that in the very next verse, John 12, 33, John says this, he said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. So in recent years, Hollywood has tried to do us a ministry and a service. That's with dripping sarcasm, by the way. To show us, to depict what it was like for Jesus to die. And they show blood, and they can show gore, and they can show violence. They almost seem to relish the violence and the the gore. But this was not just a, a... violent drama and a dramatic scene. It was not just a great tragedy. You know what? It was a great success. That's what we are celebrating here. So did Jesus die for sin? Yes or no? Yes, he did. Did he die for his own sin? Yes or no? He had no sin. Did he die for our sin? Did he die in our place? And the answer is yes. We have in our hymn of the month book this a song by John Newton, these words, O wondrous love to bleed and die, to bear the cross and shame, that guilty sinners such as I might plead his gracious name. Poor, weary, storm-tossed soul be still, my promised grace receive. Tis Jesus speaks, I must, I will, I can, I do believe. Again, good words by Mr. Newton. Jesus could tell the details before they happened in a prophetic preterite, in a way that as if it had already happened, he could look back on it. He came the first time to what? Be our sacrifice. And we're assured he comes back a second time, amen? This time to be our Messiah King prophet, priest, and king. Notice in verse 7, it says, the the perfect lamb opened not his mouth. Well, there are people that have died, died wrongfully, didn't always die silently. It was not a time to protest his innocence. And it really would have been out of place for him to try to confess sin because he had nothing to confess. Did prophets ever suffer when proclaiming God's word? Yes, they did. Did they suffer as innocent of, and, and innocent of all sin? No. Did they suffer on behalf of another? The answer is no. Jesus knew the Father's will. He knew his own purpose. And he knew our great need. He knew all this. And only one so perfect could die 
in our place and bear such wrath. Notice uh, another song, Consider Him. Who chose, some of the, you know these songs enough, you can almost sing along with me as I'm just saying the words. Consider Him who chose a lonely cross. Consider Him and marvel at His loss. Despising shame, Christ suffered in our place. Consider Him. Sufficient is His grace. I said the one sent is, was the one slain. And before we go to communion, let me close with this. The one rejected must be the one accepted. Israel went apostate. Yes, when they made and worshiped idols. Isaiah and Jeremiah warned against that repeatedly. Remember to Moses, they said, all that you tell us to do, we will do. They could, they could say that repeatedly over their history. We plan to obey. We, we will keep the Sabbath. We won't make idols. And yet they, they failed miserably. And yet they especially, the apostasy was shown when they took the Son of God and said, crucify him, not Barabbas. That's the one we want. So everything Jesus taught and everything Jesus stood for, everything was so offensive. It was a turnoff to the Jewish leaders. They said, we, we don't find anything attractive about your message. And so then when he's being crucified, they could say, that finishes it. We see nothing to attract, no Messiah here, no one to follow, nothing to worship, nothing inspiring. Zechariah 12.10 says that Israel's unbelief will continue until the Lord pours out on, it says, on the inhabitants of, the, of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. Where does that come from? Will they work it up in themselves? No, until he gives them a spirit of grace and mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they pierced, they shall mourn for him. Israel doesn't look on Jesus. They might pity, they might pity you for believing in that Jesus, but they don't look on him and say, that's my Messiah. So verse six says, all of us have gone astray. Each of us has turned everyone to his own way. You know what? Now it's not just a Jewish problem, is it? Sin made rebels of us all. Let's be honest. Every single one of us, as Adam's heirs, are rebels. And the, the fall and it's, has set on us our affections, our desires, our interest. You know what we, we're inclined to? Our own ease, our own success. And then God sets before us his son and says, worship him. And without a gift of grace, we look and right along with the Jews, we say, I'm offended. I'm astonished at you. Your appearance does, it looks more like an animal than a man. Listen to these words from one of our hymns by John Mincy. The perfect judge, unstained by sin, stores up his wrath for guilty men. 
My rebel heart makes me an heir of punishment I cannot bear. O dreadful thought that crushes me, sin makes me God's enemy. The father cursed his spotless son for wicked deeds that I have done and lavishly counts as mine the righteousness of Christ divine. O grace-filled thought that staggers me, Christ took my sin and set me free. Again, good writing because it's based on Scripture. What a wonderful exchange. When we share with somebody the bridge track, when you give them the gospel, we are talking about that exchange, his robes for mine. Verse 6 closes, and the Lord has laid, and here's our text, on him. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for all. He did not come to serve, but to be served, but to serve. There again, the suffering, what? Servant, okay? And to give himself a ransom, a what? A substitution for us all. So every time we come to the communion table, we are reenacting a gospel scene. We are reenacting as lively as we can the, the exchange that Christ took our wrath, our penalty in God's wrath and gave us that mercy and that righteousness. In the the upper room, Jesus telling that this is about to come and that the cup of his blood was poured out for many. One final song I'll make reference to. And then I'll ask that we'll, we have a song to sing we have a song to sing and we'll have the elders prepare the communion table at this time. But uh, Chris Anderson did a good job on this song. He says, nothing I've done could merit God's grace. Nothing I'll do can take it away. In hope, I have one hope in life and death. I have been clothed in Christ's righteousness. Christ is sufficient. His Work is finished. He is my faith's author and end. Christ is enough, my Savior and friend. Let's pray.